Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns, and Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, uh, I know you're probably you're still pretty young. So, but are you? You're probably what, 25 or something, 26. Go ahead. But you still have to think about retirement in the future. Mm-hmm. So, if you were thinking about this, what kind of profession you do after you retired from this, yeah. this media world, mm-hmm. you know, what would it be? You know, I've often thought it'd be fun, and it would still be media, though. To do, like, high school basketball and football play-by-play. Whoa. Just for the fun of it. Just to go to small, you know, small-town Friday nights are great when you go to go do high school football, uh, basketball, something like that. That'd be kind of fun. Maybe yeah. to keep doing my PA work at SLU. I right. would probably do that. But that's probably, what would, what would be yours? I don't have any. I you know, can't. I'd probably take, I'd go ahead and, like, start gardening a lot. <laughs> well, I thought personally, knowing you, that maybe you'd start a microbrewery and have well, a B. Kelly brew. You can't drink all the profits, though. That would be, I've got a nice, I've I got a pretty big barn. I've, I've often thought about putting a brewery out there. That'd right. be pretty nice, yeah. I was well, that's, just, that's a good thought. <laughs> you changed my mind. <laughs> I'm going to go do some research right now, work on some recipes. (laughs) And stay off your phone, please. Okay. Hey, don't remind me. I don't have my phones, and I feel lost, absolutely lost. Uh, The map to the restroom is in there. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, there's a bucket someplace. Anyway. Saturday morning, we get together, and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape whether it's in the backyard, front yard, side yard, or that specialty garden space. Hmm, what are we going to do with it this year? How about the taste of the tropics? How are your houseplants doing? What is potting mix? You need to improve your soil? Yes, probably, maybe not. Cheering, pruning, getting a soil test, removal of bugs and diseases, and using the information to make smart decisions. My thoughts on orchestrations Hopefully, will help solidify your options. With the final judgment, of course, will be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player in this game today is Cole. He's producing. He's across the giant board from where I'm standing. And uh, so when you call in, Cole just needs your name and where you're calling from. So, Give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting a Garden Hotline since 1994. And if you'd like to have me come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape evaluation, or if you'd like to give a gift certificate to somebody for Valentine's Day, 
for a walk and talk. You can contact me. Go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's going to be my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. From our home, I went Christie Boulevard. Then I went west on Eichelberger. Then I went north on Hampton. And I kept going on Hampton for a little bit. And then I turned left on Elizabeth. Then I was curving here, curving there. And all of a sudden, I saw the streetlights. But they're not LED streetlights yet. Speaking of LED streetlights, we just had all the streetlights in our neighborhood converted to LED. It is so bright. It is unbelievable. But anyway, back to the good gardening stroll. So the streetlights were reflecting on the water. And somebody's wind chime was saying, it's kind of breezy out there. There was a dog walker. I kept saying to the dog, you're a good dog. Yes. He kept looking at me. He said, how does that guy know I'm a good dog? And there's an old-time brick roadway, Itman, E-I-T-M-A-N, a playground. from the, It was designed by Miracle, and it's designed for kids 5 to 12. There's uh, lots of trees, big trees, all kinds of different trees, oaks and sycamores and maples. And their fallen leaves from last fall cover a lot of the area, so it kind of makes it neat. Over the hills and dales, you hear the crows. And uh, it's really kind of, it's real, it's, this is a very neat place. And where in the world is this? This is Clifton Heights Park and their lake. And river birches are on one side, a lot of them. They're encircling the lake. Uh, local ducks down in the water. Each was asking, what is that guy doing here? It's still dark. An old pavilion there with wrought iron fence and detailing around the top. So you can kind of sit and look at the lake and just relax. On the opposite side of the lake, there is lots of bald cypress. They're reaching out in all directions. And a bridge over a fountain spillway. Great. Monarchs. Well, milkweed for monarchs at the base of the steps that head to the northwest corner. Somebody had just planted. Well, not just planted. But in 2018, they planted a Japanese lilac tree, and it was donated by Menzel. The homes are various types of architectural styles that overlook this great park that's tucked into the hills. It's not a really huge park, but because of rolling hills and everything else, it feels a lot bigger than probably it is from a square footage standpoint or a square acre standpoint. But uh, Clifton Heights Park is a great park to visit. If you haven't been there, it's just south of 44 off Hampton. So it's a nice place to just go and take a walk, regardless of the time of day, regardless of the type of weather or anything else. So there is the Good Gardening Stroll. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. Folks, give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, concerns, or comments about whatever's going on in your landscape. So we'll take a listen to what you have to say, and then I'll let you know what I think the best approach to take. Uh, Going back to maybe some of the things that you need to think about last year, if you grew some plants in pots, and those plants, you know, regardless if they're plastic, if they were terracotta, if they were ceramic, or doesn't matter what type of pot, and they, the plants that were in there, 
got a disease of some sort, guess what? You better get that pot cleaned up, even if you've already dumped the potting mix out. And definitely don't keep that potting mix that was, you know, had a disease plant material in it because it could be problematic for the next type of plants that go in there. But uh, also just clean your pot and then whatever you removed or whatever you've cut off, any kind of disease stuff, whether you used, a, a, let's say, a, a spade, even out of the ground, you got to be really careful because the contamination of the disease could get onto any kind of tools that you use. So whether it's a hand trowel, whether it's a digging fork or whatever it happens to be, clean all that stuff off just to make sure that you minimize the opportunity or chance to give the disease to the 2020 plant material. So let's go. Evelyn, Evelyn, she lives in South County. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I did not get a clematis plant planted last year, and so I put it in my basement, my cool basement under a grow light, and it's blooming. So should I be fertilizing that? Uh, <laughs> probably not. I wouldn't okay. do that. You know, normally if it was a technically a real house plant type thing, I would say yes at half label rate. But I would just as long as the foliage looks good and everything looks good, what I might do is I know you're probably liking to see the flowers and stuff. I'd cut the flowers off. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, because it's. I've got I one mean, more question for you. A quick question. Sure. Um, we were at the Audubon Society Bird Sanctuary uh, out in West Alton. And they had echinacea pods. What do you do with those? Well, they're filled with seeds. Okay, so do you have to soak those or refrigerate them? or? No, I mean, if they've been outside, then you shouldn't have to do anything. Okay. I would just, you know, pretty much kind of lay the pod like it had fallen off a plant and just see what happens. I'll do that. Thank you for your help. Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, any kind of plant that's, you know... Regardless of whatever, whether it's a tree, whether it's a shrub, whether it's a vine like clematis or anything else, when they're flowering, it is very stressful for the plant material. So that's why I'm recommending for her to go ahead and cut the flowers off because the plant's under stress anyway. Even though it's a cool basement, it's under grow lights, it's not exactly dormancy, which a clematis really likes this time of year. So that's why I said go ahead and take the flowers off of it. But uh, anybody else questions, concerns? We've got lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, spraying this time of year for insects, yes. What you, the best thing to spray this time of year is something called dormant oil. It's a type of horticultural oil, and what it does is it can suffocate adults, it can suffocate eggs, it can suffocate any kind of thing like you know that might be attached to the branches of your shrubs, your trees, or anything like that. So... February is a time of year when you want to get that dormant oil spray applied. So, and especially if you have plants, you know, woody type plant materials that has had a history of insect problems, get out there and get it taken care of. Because if you don't, it's going to be really, really sort of a disaster. Let's put it that way. Keep feeding the birds. They're going to love it. I've been, I had stopped putting bird seed out because... There's several, let's say, feral cats in our neighborhood. And when I was feeding the birds regularly, I saw the cats get a couple of the birds. So I stopped for a while, and now I'm back feeding. So I, what I've, I'm just feeding with thistle seed, and I'm sprinkling a thistle seed on the sidewalk. So it's pretty interesting. I don't have it in a thistle tube or anything, a thistle feeder or anything like that. 
But uh, watching the birds come and land and uh, fool around with that thistle seed. Some of the starlings come in. They're not my favorite bird, but they are a bird. And they they always look, they try to eat it, but they always look a little bit confused, like this is more trouble than what it's worth. So understand that situation. Then we've got a lot of wrens right now. So there, and uh, some chickadees too. So it's nice to see them head down and, and I haven't seen the cats come and hang out underneath the shrubs watching the birds yet. So that's good. If you do have any raspberry canes, if you have any raspberry or grapes, this is a time of year when you want to go ahead and cut them back. If you have some, let's say, perennial-type herbs, take a look because probably, I'm hoping at least, the most severe part of winter has passed us. So you can go out and any of the, let's say, leaves or any of the stems or whatever on your herbs, go ahead and cut all that stuff off. And it's just, you know, it's just... It just makes sense to get rid of it kind of from an aesthetic standpoint. And if you've historically used a fertilizer called Triple 12, which is one that's basically a one-season type fertilizer, and you've been using it for a couple years, whether it's on your lawn or whether it's on your bed, you know, bed spaces where you're trying to grow anything at all, uh, get a soil test done because the last two numbers – and triple 12 is phosphorus and potassium. Those two nutrients, even though this type of fertilizer was formulated to last for just basically one season, so it's an agricultural type fertilizer, those two nutrients will stay in the ground for a long time. And what has happened over the last probably decade or so, the soil testing has indicated that there's been extravagant levels of phosphorus and potassium because they stay in the soil for a considerable amount of time where the first number is nitrogen, and nitrogen actually becomes a gas and actually goes up into the air after only a few days. That's why your soil test will always indicate that you don't have any nitrogen. You say, well, I've already fertilized. But that's just, you know, the plant's got to grab it really quickly, and when they do, then they hold on to it. But any other, uh, the nitrogen that is still in the soil or whatever, then it goes up into the air as a gas. So that's what you have to do. So... These extravagant levels of phosphorus and potassium, they've been really damaging to some of the plant material. So a lot of times we think it's a disease or it's an insect problem or something like that. And in reality, it's something that we have done by doing the same type of fertilizing over and over and over again. And that can happen in lawns if you use triple 12 on lawn or anything else. So let's head out now to O'Fallon, Missouri, and see what's going on in Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. Hey, so I have I'm looking to put a natural barrier between me and my neighbor. It's a uh in the backyard. I'm just trying to like what is there ornamental grass that works or what would be the best? Well, how much space do we have? Um, really just about five feet. Five feet wide? Yeah. And probably it's, it's and... wet and rocky and lots of shade. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm coming to you. <laughs> well, let's see. Why don't you call another show? Yeah. <laughs> like Scott Mosby, no. And, you know, build yeah. a fence. <laughs> no, it, this is going to be a really tough circumstance. If it's very shady in that kind of soil, the, I mean, the ornamental grass isn't really not going to do all that well. I would right. probably do a combination of a couple different things and just kind of keep your fingers crossed and find out, you know, start off relatively small. You probably don't want or just mix sizes. 
and I'd probably use maybe some of the uh, upright uh, junipers. Okay. So and get the more narrow ones like the Kettler eye or something along that line, and put because they can handle their. They don't really like the shade, but they may be able to withstand that circumstance. And then do a combination of that with let's say spreading use. Okay. And that would probably be what I'd recommend doing. Yeah, I mean it does get morning sun, but the rest of the day is pretty shady. Yeah, if it's getting you know four or five hours of sun, that should be adequate. If it's less than that, it's you know it's going to impact the plant material. There's no getting around okay. it. And okay. what you could do is you know consider putting up like I said a fence type thing, and growing an evergreen type vine on it like a red trumpet honeysuckle. That's a good idea. I like that. You know, I mean, sections like do a, a six-foot section of fence with a red trumpet honeysuckle on it, and then maybe a juniper and a U in between, and then another. So you don't have just, a let's say, a continuous line of fencing. You have some breakage in it that gives it a little bit more natural appearance. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, the red trumpet honeysuckle is not the honeysuckle that everybody hates. It's very invasive. It has a red trumpet, you know, shaped flowers, and obviously red. And uh, fragrance-wise, it's not really a great fragrance, but it's not too bad. So, good luck with that, Bob. And now let's stay out close to where you live and go into St. Peter's and see what's going on with Flora. Flora, how are you? Just fine, thank you. How are you? Very good. What I'm calling about is I have some heirloom tomato soup seeds that I would like to plant under, start under light and then put in my garden. I need to know when should I do this? (laughs) Yeah, because if you do it too early, they're still going to elongate. To be honest with you, I would probably, you know, I would wait until, let's say, so you have the grow lights, they're, you know, everything's there and ready to go. I probably would not plant the seeds, uh, let's see. You're not going to be able to move them outside, or it's not to advantage to move them outside until May or so. So I would probably start them in, let's say, early to mid-April. Okay. Okay. And then I have another question sure. real quickly. Okay. I have started, I've rooted an avocado. I've got the root, tap root down, mm-hmm. and it has some greenery coming up at the top, but it's just in the kitchen. And I'm wondering, when should I put that under the lights, would that help encourage it to start to, you know, to get warm and do something? And when should I put it in the dirt? Well, it can't survive outside, so if that's what you're talking about. I know. About. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> so I mean, under in, the light. Yeah, but if putting it in a growing, you know, a pot with potting mix or something like that, you could probably do that, uh, let's say, again, in like the 1st of April or so, and then move it outside just a little bit beyond that. And uh, don't put it directly in the sun when you first set it outside. Put it in kind of a part shade circumstance. And as it gets Mm -hmm. used to the light of the outdoors, then you can move it in the full sun. But it's not really ever going to do too much for you. It's not going to be an avocado, you know, even a miniature avocado tree. And it's certainly not going to produce any kind of fruit. And I'm sure you realize that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was just thinking if I move it under under the light, it would warm up the water or something so that it would encourage it to to put on some foliage and look cute like a house plant. (laughs) Well, I guess it's not going to warm it up all that much, to be honest. So, okay. 
Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your show. Yeah, my pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. And anybody else calls, we can take your questions. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's see, other things that you need to be thinking about. This is a good time of year before the new growth begins if you're going to need to do some pruning on, like, evergreens especially. So this is a good time to do that. You can prune pretty much anything this time of year, but if you prune spring flowering shrubs or trees, you're cutting down the number of flowers that's going to, you know, that, that that particular plant's going to have this year. So if you don't really care about the number of flowers, what you can do also is if they're spring flowering, let's say a pink flowering almond or a star magnolia or a forsythia or a witch hazel or whatever you're pruning, Whatever you cut off, keep, you know, like a one-foot section, branch, twig or whatever, bring it inside and put it in, you know, in some water. And then in a couple, probably in four to six weeks, it should be in flower inside. So you can sort of get the early advantage, except things like witch hazel should be blooming this time of year and the pink, you know, pink flowering almond. February is the time when normally we think about them blooming, so... Folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Gentleman called in. He wasn't able to hang on so we could talk to him on air. But he has uh, a type of rust, cedar apple rust on his apple trees, crab apples or whatever. And he wanted to know if every time he takes a, you know, cuts a branch off or something, he should dip his, you know, his pruners into a blend of water and Clorox bleach. Yes, you should. But cedar apple rust is a pretty nasty disease. So unless it's a plant that you really, really super enjoy, realize it's probably not going to have, you know, aesthetically it's going to lose some of its value as time goes on. So anyway, let's head now to Melville and go into Allen's yard. Hi, Alan. Uh, yeah, good morning. Hi. Uh, I was wondering, I have a problem with moles. I've tried a little uh, pellets you put in the ground in their tunnel. I tried the uh, digging them up. When I see a new tunnel, I dig around it. Uh, I don't know what to do, how to get rid of these things. <laughs> uh, suggestions. Well, first of all, you have a nice yard because you wouldn't have moles if you didn't have a nice yard because earthworms only occur when the yards are nice and well taken care of. So the moles are there to eat earthworms. So consequently, most of the, a lot of the things don't really work. The thing that has proven over decades to work the best is the traps, a series of traps. You know, flatten the tunnels, find out which ones are most active in at this particular time, and choker loop or Victor spear trap, and set a couple along the you know the mole run. I see. I thought maybe there's some kind of repellent or. You put on the ground or something that I'm not using, but they, you said they don't normally work. Or the yeah, well, that, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a real hit and miss type thing. And also, the worst problem is February is mole birthing month. So the females, they've got two series of tunnels. One's a surface one. That's the one where right. they look for food. The, the one that they go back and forth from wherever they're looking for food back to their sleeping den or birthing den is about a foot lower down. So consequently, females can have, you know, a couple new baby moles, so you're going to have more moles. They're real territorial, so they're not going to necessarily stay in your yard, but they, it's, right. you're just going to have more and more and more trouble. I see. <laughs> okay, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> 
Yeah, the traps are, I mean, it's it's a little bit vicious and everything else, but, that, I mean, that's the only thing that's really been proven over the years to be very effective. There's things where you can inject this, you know, this type of uh, gel into the tunnels. It smells like earthworms, but it's poisonous, and that's, you know, somewhat hit and miss. There's all kinds of different things, and, you know, let's say, some kind of something to create a vibration in the ground. So like a pinwheel or something along that line. But all that stuff is, again, just really pretty hit and miss. Yeah, I tried the vibration thing. They don't really work. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Another option is to sell your home. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't going to (laughs) happen. See you later. (laughs) Bye. I hate those moles. I'm selling this yeah. house. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Yep. And now let's head to Susan's yard, and she lives in Greenville. Hi, Susan. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Um, I'm calling about the star best lamb. It's already showing up in my yard. I had it last year. It was really hard to mow because it clogs up the mower. Is there anything to spray on it or another way to get rid of it short of just digging all the bulbs up? Uh, pretty much that's going to be it. I mean, you can, I mean, you could try using an herbicide, but anything that's a, that's around, and it sounds like it's, you know, problematic from the standpoint that it's uh, so thick and dense, You it is in your lawn area, I'm assuming. Well, it's it's, it's in areas, and when I mow, it, it uh, collects on the bottom of my mower, and then the other grass collects under it, so I have all this mess underneath my mower to scrape. Right. So I was just hoping to be able to get rid of it so I have nice green grass instead of these little sprouts everywhere. <laughs> but you should enjoy that. I mean, we had Star of Bethlehem in our yard when I was growing up in Ellisville. But, uh, yeah, it is. it can be problematic. It does have a narrow blade. So, I mean, you can use a grass killer on it, but then it's going to kill your grass. And you're going to end up with a big, ugly patch of nothing. Right, right. So, I mean, that's kind of the downside of trying to go after it with an herbicide. So it's going to be... Okay. And the bulbs are, I mean, it's a minor bulb, so the bulbs are, uh, they're a little bit bigger than a, let's say, a lima bean, but uh, they're not too much bigger than that. Okay. I'll so. start digging, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, good luck. And I get them dug up, and then you can get some seed down in uh, another month or so and go for that, or you can get to probably the garden centers will start having sod within, uh, let's see, probably a month. I would think. So that's your options. So now let's head. See you, Susan. Thanks. And now let's go over to Greg's yard, and Greg lives in O'Fallon. Hi, Greg. How you doing? Good. Hey, we just built a house at the Lake of the Ozarks, and we really like the birds. And I was thinking about, like, planting the hollies down there. How do they react with the rocky soil down there? They would die. Is there anything you suggest? (laughs) For the birds, I know uh, dogwoods, wild dogwoods grow down there well. Is there some kind of bush or something I could plant that the birds would like? Well, I mean, for the most part, I would probably may, maybe take a look, at, not at dogwoods necessarily, because there's nothing that a dogwood, that a bird's going to eat from a dogwood. I mean, they do have those red berries at the end of the season. But take a look at something called service berry. And it's actually a native, you know, to Missouri, spring flowering tree slash shrub, depending upon the variety that you have. It has white flowers in the spring. It has then red kind of tiny small apples for a fruit. And then in the fall, it has great fall color, too. 
So I'd probably take a look at that. And then maybe, is this sunny location or is this shady? It's uh, afternoon sun. That's about it. And how many hours? Um, four. Four hours. Hmm. That's you know that's kind of a t- you know tough circumstance, but uh, probably I would say start looking. Go to the you know University of Missouri website or go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website. And I don't know if you're opposed to it, but you might think about doing some wildflowers that would have seeds like purple comb flower, something like that, which has you know or any of the really the sunflower family has seeds after they finish flowering that the birds enjoy. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, that's going to be a really tough situation. But, uh, you know, the purple coneflower could probably do fairly decently. But, I mean, this is, you have to kind of just leave it alone. You can't mow over it or anything else. But uh, they'll self-seed. And, the you know, I've got some behind my garage, between the garage and alley. And the birds, I mean, when they, the seeds start, first start forming, they're. I mean, the birds are all over them. So, Good luck with that. And now let's go into Steve's yard, and he lives in South County. Hi, Steve. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Hey, listen, I, I dug up my bulbs for my uh, elephant ears and my cannas, and um, I put them in this back room, and there's a window in there, but there's no direct light at all. And I am and I had a, a, a bag full of them on top of the buckets that I had them in, and they're, they're, they're sprouting up between the next to the bucket and the bag. I get, I'm getting leaves coming up. <laughs> Is that gonna is that gonna hurt them? Uh, shouldn't hurt them. It's just you know if there's not adequate light, then those leaves as they come out, then they're just gonna kind of. So I mean, it's not the ideal thing. The reason why that you're you know this room, even if it's cool or something else, it's warmer than what it you know what it should be to keep the keep them from starting to germinate or you know pushing out the new growth. I've got a bunch of bulbs in my garage that I just pulled out of pots and. Just they're just sitting there, and then I have some of my let's say designer bulbs, and I've got them in the basement though, and I'm not you know in total darkness. So in the oh, future, okay. if you do this again, you know just put a pl- black plastic bag over the top of them just to keep the light off of them. Okay, Mike. Thank you, buddy. Certainly. Yeah. So they should be okay, but it's a little tough to tell. Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, there was a call earlier. A gentleman asked about screening, and he was wondering if ornamental grasses would work. And I told him, no, they really wouldn't. But if you do have ornamental grasses in your landscape right now, this is a great time to go out there with bungee cords, wrap it around the big clump, and then cut them off. Depending upon which variety you have, that determines how much you're going to cut off. But all those blades that are there right now pretty much are dead. So the new growth is going to be coming up from the root system. So don't cut them too close because you might damage the crown from the standpoint, you know, heaven forbid, which I hope we don't. You cut them off, you cut them down to like two to three inches, and we get a really severe cold snap. It could really freeze the crown, and that means no blades for this year at all. So, and basically dead clumps. So just realize and putting the bungee cord around just makes it easier to cut and easier to, let's say, put them in a bag. There's a house down the street from us, and uh, they have ornamental grasses, and they never cut them off. So the people that are living close, you know, next door or whatever, they get those blades, you know, six, seven-foot, bl- you know, blades of this mis- miscanthus maiden grass, 
in their yard because of prevailing winds and stuff like that. So let's head now to Steelville, Illinois, which is down near Chester, and that's where Glenn lives. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Hi. Um, hi. I got a, a flower bed, and I got uh, a weeds coming in in it. Not really weeds. It's got small leaves on it. Well, there could be some small leaf weeds. Like probably what you, what you may have is a, an actual type of cool season annual weed. So what it is is the best way to do it. It's too late this year. But next August, uh, mid to late August, put a pre-emergent down. And that would certainly help get rid of the problem. It probably sounds like you may have too many to hand dig. What you can do is go out there with like a broadleaf weed killer before anything else comes up. And is spray, you know, like a broadleaf weed killer on the, the actual individual plants. Is there anything I can put on there now, spray on there now? Yeah, uh, pro- you could give it a try. You know, the effectiveness of herbicides when the temperatures, even though they're not really severely cold, is really reduced when the temperatures, because the plants are not doing a lot of active growth. They're still green and everything else is fine. So I would try like a weed be gone type thing and see, you know, see what kind of results you get. I didn't know if a guy could spray that with Roundup or not. Well, you could if, you know, I mean, I just, you know, Roundup was certainly an all purpose. There's no getting around it. it. It kills all the way down through the root system and everything else. So as long as you don't have any, anything there that you, you're worried about it drifting onto, then you're fine. Yeah, go ahead and use the Roundup. I thought maybe it was too cold to use Roundup. Yeah, something. well, it is any herbicide when it's this cold. That's you know that's kind of what I was saying about using a Weed Be Gone or anything else. But you could go out right. there with a little bit and try it and see if it was effective. And if it is, then go ahead and maybe just you know try it again on a few more and a few more and a few more. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that's it's going to be a tough one because it's early in the season. So, but next year, like I said, if these are cool season annual weeds, what they do is they germinate in early September. They grow through the entire winter time, and then when the weather starts warming up, they go dormant. They die off. But during that time, what they've done is they've produced a whole lot of flowers and they've dropped the seed, and that's why you'd be putting a pre-emergent down next August because. What you're trying to do is what that does is create a chemical barrier on the bed, and as a seed germinates, it kills that seed. It doesn't damage anything else that's already there or anything whatsoever. So, and if it's a there's a product called Preen, if it's a you know it's a bed where you got uh, let's say flowers and something like that, you can certainly use that very easily. So, anybody else questions? We've got a few more minutes in this hour. Three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Realize that uh, you can still do some deep root feeding on your trees. Deep root feeding is where you go out and you auger holes around the tree and you backfill those holes with compost. You're augering. What you're trying to do is you're trying to feed the soil because a good, healthy soil is by far the best thing for your plant material. There's not. There's no getting around it whatsoever fertilizers and all that other stuff, it's, I don't want to say it's more or less cosmetic, but that's really what it is. Healthy soil is by far the best thing to have healthy plant material, no matter what, whether it's trees, whether it's shrubs, whether it's perennials, whether it's vegetables, 
whether it's flowering plant material, it doesn't really matter. Let's head over to Bruce's yard, and Bruce lives in St. Louis. Hi, Bruce. Yeah, my property's actually outside of the sea limits, but I noticed during the dormant season here, I've got kudzu coming in. How do I make sure I remove it? Ooh, you sure it's kudzu? It's, I'm pretty sure it's, it's covering two or three trees already, and it's, it's really covered two trees since December when I first spotted it. Wow. So that, that's disastrous. What you can do is just go out and find out where it's coming up out of the ground. Yeah, I've already done that. I've already got a circle about 60 feet in diameter. Okay, and then all the stems that are coming up out of the ground, cut. Okay. Cut them at about two feet, and then right after you cut them, take Roundup and paint it right on that cut. Okay. And well, I, I found another thing called brush killer that might be good as well because i got a lot of briars in here as well on this property that I'm using for hunting slash um, future cabin. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that would any kind of brush killer, anything like that, just make sure it's systemic because you want to make sure that it's not going to kill just, you know, the above-ground growth. Obviously, you're, since you've cut it off, that's going to die anyway. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's kill the stem, but it also will kill the root system. Okay. Because I was afraid because I usually monitor it once a month when I'm down in the property and it became an issue when I thought, wow, it's already spread a lot within the past month. Yeah, that's... And especially this time of year, that's kind of an extreme, you know, amount of growth because kudzu is really kind of a, it was a warm season weed. It's just been able to migrate in the last decade or so this far north. Yeah. Well, my, my property is outside, actually outside the, property, the city limits. It was well outside. That's one of those things I just want to keep an eye on. It. Right. So, and makes, you know, whatever it is, just, you know, stay on top of it for sure because it could be yeah. disastrous. Yeah, exactly. I don't want it to have to spread into where the, the home place is going to be because we're looking at building the cabin and we found that and we're like, ah, this is kind of not good. Right, exactly. All right, thank you. Certainly. And I don't know, Jim, can you do it kind of quick? Yeah, I just uh, want to talk about moles. Okay. Have you ever heard of people using dry ice in the tunnels? No, I never have. Well, I thought I had heard it on your program several years ago. Not nah, maybe somebody had called in and I just don't remember. But I, you know, I don't know about the dry ice. I mean, it certainly would be as long as you know gives that they're nitrogen. Pardon me. Gives off nitrogen. Right. Well, it would certainly be something to give a you know give a try. So thanks a lot. I greatly appreciate you calling. But no, okay. I'm not. You know, I'm not familiar with you know that myself. But if anybody else has questions for the next hour, three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. They feel like going out and having a road trip? Well, why not go to your favorite garden center? They're starting to get the early season things. If you want to grow some rutabaga, no, not root rhubarb. You want to grow rhubarb. You want to grow asparagus. You want to grow seed potatoes. All those kind of things. The garden centers are starting to have those things arrive. If they don't have them yet, they're going to have them really soon. So it's, you know, this year I'm probably going to get a bunch of uh, rhubarb, and uh, Tracy likes rhubarb pies, so we're going to grow enough at least to make one or two pies. So that's one of the things that I'm going to grow that I haven't grown for a while. And uh, so I I don't, let's see, I don't think they have it yet, but they will. 
So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. We'll be back after the news. Yes, folks, it is the tip of the trowel hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you slip out. Yes. Um, what do you? How's your yard doing as far as bird-wise? Is it oh, hard? a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We The other day I came home and I had filled up a couple of them in the morning, and they were empty when I got home. They're going Whoa. nuts. Yes. So yeah, a lot of cardinals, uh, the usual, a lot of cardinals. Great. Oh, bunch of cardinals. They're so pretty. <laughs> yeah, so we, we're going, uh, yeah, great guns right now. I knew you always do, but I yeah. was just curious if, you know, with the weather and the days getting mm-hmm. a little bit longer, if they're more and more... Let's say aggressive as far as food wise. I think so. Yeah, it kind. It's funny though because some days it doesn't seem like they eat a whole lot, and especially the finches. I've got three finch feeders, and some days they won't get touched, and other times I'll come home and one or two will be empty. The upside down one takes a little extra work, so they kind of wait, save that for last. <laughs> but the other two, though, you just never know. Some days it'll take a week to empty them, and other times it'll be a day. Sounds but, perfect. But a lot of them, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So you can use your phone and take some pictures of them. Uh, if I had my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I hate you to reminded rub it in. me. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, well, that's what life's about, forgetting things sometimes. Anyway, folks, thanks uh, for Mike, having... have, you see, have you seen my head? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, wait, it's attached. <laughs> oh, it is? Oh, I thought you were headless. <laughs> yes, folks, thanks for stopping by and having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection Caring for ups and downs and all arounds of annuals, bulbs, edibles. Speaking of bulbs, spring flowering bulbs, are, a lot of them are starting to come up, the daffodils and everything else. And then things like grape hyacinths, they have foliage all through the wintertime. And then when they start to flower, then that foliage will die off. Uh, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take but strictly offered you to consider. And uh, Cole's across the board, and he's the one who will be answering the phone. So when you call, just give him your first name and where you're calling from. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, either aesthetic, problem-solving, or anything else. If you'd like to give a walk and talk to somebody as a Valentine's present, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Go to the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is. You can contact me, and I can just email you a gift certificate. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to three different uh, plant societies. One's called Sprig and Twig Garden Club, and that's in Florissant. There's another one called Ho and Hope Garden Club, and that's in southern Jefferson County. And then the Good Earth Garden Club, and that's in Eureka. So there's garden clubs all over the metropolitan area. Some specifically specialize in one type of plant material. Other ones are just kind of general. But I'll tell you, whether you are well-versed in growing plant material, you're always going to get some insight from somebody else at these garden club meetings. And if you're a new beginning gardener, what a better place to learn what you're interested in and some of the tricks and things like that that can make a big difference and avoid some of the stumbling blocks, that's garden clubs. So they're all over. The Missouri Botanical Garden has a list of on their website, mobot.org, a list of the garden clubs that meet there at the garden. 
at the Botanical Garden, but there's plenty of other garden clubs that don't meet at the Botanical Garden. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, why don't we take a call or two, if we can. Let's go to George, and George lives in St. Louis. Hi, George. Hi. Uh, I have, thanks for having me on. Sure. I have uh, uh, shrub roses. They're Bonica and Knockouts. And when I buy them from Home Depot, they look gorgeous and they're bushy. And then by the end of the year, they're getting real long and leggy. So am I doing something wrong? Do they need to be cut back? Cutting, um, yeah, the cutting back would be important. Also, are you fertilizing? I am not. Okay, so get rose food and start doing a routine fertilizing with the rose food about every, let's say, around once a month or so and start fertilizing uh late april may june july august september would be the last fertilizing okay okay because that's going to make a big difference also the pruning will make a big difference too so uh, so how often should i prune them uh probably it just you know it just depends upon the variety and everything else i'm assuming you have them in full sun so they should be doing very well as far as in relationship to the sun but don't just go out and, you know, because these are, I don't know how big the pots that you're buying them in, but my guess is maybe a three-gallon pot. But probably the first year or so or first couple years, you know, you can have some flowers, but I would just, you know, prune them back routinely about once a month when you're fertilizing and that try to get them thicker and denser and bushier. Gotcha. Okay, and at the end of the year, I cut them all the way back down to about 12 inches. Yeah, you don't need to do that, but you can. I probably wouldn't do it, you know, going into winter time. but I'd probably, my tendency would be to do it when we're coming out of winter time. And if you gotcha. cut them down that low, so it's sometimes, depending upon how well-established the root system is, the above-ground growth is not going to be what you anticipate. So I would say however big they are, that year, cut them back about uh, 25 or 30 percent or 30, uh, you know, one third, and then just do that on a routine basis each year. Perfect. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. And Rochelle lives in Garden Prairie, Missouri. Hi, Rochelle. Yes. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I, I planted four hollies, a royal princess holly, a prince and princesses, and we have four of them. And one is uh, beautiful, dark green. They all have berries, but the other three are real light green. They're not full, and I have given, they're about three feet apart, and I have given them, um, you know, holly plant food. And we've had them for, oh, probably four years, and only the one is doing well. Probably the other three, even though you're using holly food on them, the soil is not exactly what they should be, even if they're in close proximity. So the one that's doing well, why it's doing better, it's a little bit tough to say. But you should probably get some iron sulfate and put that around the base of the plants as opposed to the fertilizer. And try to get the soil chemistry right so the new new growth would be darker green and not the, the discolored. They're not full at all with leaves like the other one. Yeah, so and I, go, I don't know how big they are or anything else, but uh, I They're would go probably, ahead. probably, you know, three feet off the ground, three to four feet off the ground. Yeah, I'd probably cut uh, maybe half of the ones that are not full. I'd probably cut, uh, you know, as much as about half of them off. But I wouldn't do it oh. to all of them all at once. Let's say cut each shrub 
let's say they have 10 stems coming up out of the ground. Cut five of those down to half the height that it currently is and leave the other okay. at, the regu- at the full height and see if you can kind of trigger some growth that way. Oh, thank you so much. You have a great weekend. You Bye-bye. do the same thing. Yeah, but, I mean, that iron sulfate, why one is green and healthy and everything else, the flowering is what causes the berries to happen. So uh, that doesn't, you know, the flowering slash berry production makes the ones that are, aren't very healthy even weaker. So let's go now to Lisa, and she lives in St. Peter's. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, the reason I was calling, I, I've had this problem for a couple of years in my yard, and it, they're these little pesky wild onions. And I guess there's nothing really wrong with them. I just don't want them in my flower beds. So I've tried, you know, where I cleaned out the whole entire flower, flower bed, dug them all up, got them all the little bulbs all the way up and everything, but they just seem to keep coming back. What do I do to get rid of them? And I don't want to spray anything on them necessarily because there's flowers in those flower beds. So what is your solution to that? Then if you, if you don't want to you know, use any kind of herbicide or anything else, what you're doing is the best way to go about it. But what you're doing is you're missing some of the bulbs. That's why they keep coming back. Okay. All right. So you're just going to have to dig well around, let's say, you got 15, let's say, leaves or blades coming up out of the ground from the onion. Go out a couple inches beyond that and use a trowel and go down at least three to four inches and pop that whole big clump up. And then you okay. could shake you could shake the soil off of it to backfill that hole and then just get rid of the onions that way. Okay. Well, these are real little bitty ones. You know, they never really grow big enough to to be shaking any dirt off of them necessarily, but. Um, I guess I'll just keep doing what I was doing. It's just kind of irritating for them to keep growing up. And I, I did have um, some of the volcano rock around it, uh-huh. and I didn't know that that was necessarily helping keep that stuff out, you know, keep it from growing. So is there something else I could spread instead of those? I dug all that out and threw it away. Is there something else I can put down to, to keep those weeds from popping back up? Basically, unless you put landscape fabric down, that's the only thing that you can use that's going to prevent a perennial type or self, self-perpetuating type weed from coming up because it, it it'll still germinate below the landscape fabric, but it can't push through it. But regular oh. type of mulches are really kind of ineffective as far as weed control goes. Right, right. Okay, well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. You have a very blessed weekend. You do the very same thing, and thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, a lady called in, and she said she uses a trap to get rid of the moles, and she calls it a scissor eliminator trap. It's one I've not, I don't have experience with, so if she's, you know, she's very happy with the way it works for her. So, you know, traps are by far the best. Choker Loop and Victor Spear, those are the ones I'm most familiar, you know, that I've known since I worked at the Botanical Garden, which was a long, long time ago. So this uh, scissor eliminator, if it's uh, you see that trap, there's been a lady that has called the show and, you know, Cole has sent the information over to me that uh, she's very happy with how it works. So scissor eliminator trap. Let's go now to Villa Ridge and go into Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good. Um, I am trying to restore a privacy barrier along my property line. Um, I had five really tall cedars that 
um, someone decided to cut down. Yikes. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was before I got there, but I don't know. They're gone. So I'm going to try to restore them, and I got tons of cedars all over my property. So I had a couple of questions. Um, what would the maximum trunk size be that that I should try to dig up and move over to this area? And um, when's the best time? And lastly, what would I should I like center these between the old stumps? They I'm pretty sure they've been gone at least five years. Oh. So. so if they've been gone that long, then it's probably not too much to worry about as far as the reason, reason why I say watch out about planting too close to where existing plant trees were removed or large shrubs or anything is because the root system stays active, you know, any place between, let's say, three to five to seven years. But each year it implodes more and more and more. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with it, but I would be concerned with the stump is still there. It's still going to rot, and, you know, rotting wood can be problematic for plant material. So definitely don't plant within a foot or two or three or so of where the existing stumps are, not only just from the feeder root standpoint, but just the rotting wood because that binds up nutrients and you know causes problems with the soil just in general. And if you've got them over all you know in your property, and you're going to try to dig them up. Get them dug as soon as you possibly can because you want to get them transplanted while they're still basically dormant. So you want to get them you know moved before I would say. Mid-March would be probably the latest I'd try to do it. And if you can't get that many done or you can't get them done by mid-March, I'd wait until next year sometime after Thanksgiving before mid-March. And probably diameter-wise on the trunk, I wouldn't move, you know, try to dig one up. That Probably the trunk is bigger than like uh, maybe two to three inches at the most because the root ball is going to be huge as a result of that. And then to get it, you know, get it up out of the ground, and to move it to a new location, uh, make sure that the, you know, when you do it, you have the hole ready to put it in, and only when you get the root ball up out of the ground, see how deep the root ball is that you've dug up, and make sure that you do not plant it as deep as the root ball was when you dug it up. So in other words, you want about 20% of the root ball above the surrounding ground. So if there's any settling at all, it will settle you know, higher than the surrounding ground, and that will make sure or ensure that you won't have, a, let's say, a dip around the trunk, and then water would settle in there and cause problems from that standpoint. Okay, great. Thanks for the help. Yep, good luck with that. And probably I would say, you know, maybe do some very, you know, different sizes and do them in a zigzag pattern, not just in a straight line, so you can get it, you know, get it fuller. So good luck, Chris. And now let's head to John, and John is in Chesterfield. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I was calling about the carbon dioxide or the um, dry ice to get rid of moles. Yeah. I, I've i never done it, but I was thinking about it over your hour break. And if you could cleanly open up the tunnel down to the birthing chamber, if you chopped up the uh, dry ice into small enough pieces where you could pour it down that birthing hole and then seal the top of it, the dry ice is frozen carbon dioxide, so when it sublimes, it'll fill the birthing chamber with carbon dioxide instead of oxygen. You might smother at least the babies. I don't know if mom would be able to get out, um, and you might even freeze them. 
Uh, <laughs> if mom tries to dig, dig out through the loose carbon dioxide and gets out, she'll still end up without the babies for that spring. Right. Well, that's kind of interesting. It'd be difficult to find, you know, where that birthing, you know, den is because it's a... Well, I have found some in the past. Really? When, you know, you got the gopher hole, uh, mounds of dirt. Right. So I cleanly, I cleaned it off the top and then started with a small hand trowel digging. And I've been able to find what looks like it's going down. So I'm, the whole the whole thing is if you could find the entrance to the birthing spot, you know. Right. It, it, it could work that way. Yeah, the piles of dirt also just mean that's you know that's the you know where the lower tunnel was built because they can't raise it up like they do on the surface, so they have to push some of the dirt up there. Right. But just yeah. you know, so I mean, if you can find it, I mean that that makes good sense. Yeah. So uh, anyway, just and the guy said he thought it was nitrogen, it's carbon dioxide. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know exactly what dry ice was at, you know personally, so that okay. sounds perfect. Well, sir, that could be kind of fun, too. You could really yeah. build, build some big muscles by digging up. <laughs> Give up that Gold's Gym membership. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks. Yeah, I've never, you know, that makes good sense. So uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'm going to reemphasize the cleaning of your tools and your pots and everything. If anything was, you know, disease-wise, Pruning-wise, whether you've got a hand pruner or whether you've got a hand, you know, hand pruner or hand saw or anything at all, if you're cutting off, you know, damaged or dead, you know, diseased anything, clean it. You know, clean it right afterwards, even on the same shrub or tree, because you could actually transmit it to another branch or whatever. Things like fire blight, which is a deadly disease on lots of different kinds of things. In particular, let's say the Bradford pears, where all of a sudden you start to see the ends of branches turn black, you know, about a foot or so. Fire blight is a disease that's internal, and usually when a, any kind of tree gets it or any kind of whatever gets it, uh, it's deadly. And there's not really too much you can do about it. There's not any kind of treatment or anything else. But things like uh, cedar apple rust, that is not deadly. But that can cause some aesthetic problems as far as the fruit can get really weird, like on hawthorns or on crab apples. The foliage can get all kinds of spots on it as a result of that. So there's certain things, and just, I mean, when you, you're going out and you know that you, or you suspect this is, just, you know, even if it's not, you're better off to be sure to keep, you know, to clean as opposed to just guessing. And again, with the pots and everything, wash them really good. And wash them with, you know, soap and water should be adequate with the pots. And potting mixes, a lot of times you read stuff where people say, oh, you got to get rid of the potting mix after every season. No, I don't agree with that. I keep mine. If I have plant material that hasn't had any kind of disease problems or anything else, or let's say whatever it happens to be, viruses, bacterias, you know, funguses, then I keep the potting mix. I probably... uh you know, probably 80% of it. 20% I just, you know, get rid of. I've spread it around the yard and just let it more or less percolate down into the ground. But uh, so that's probably what I would do in relationship to that. But to get rid of a potting mix every year, that's, you know, pretty substantial as far as cost goes. So I just, uh, maybe I'm just too uh, penny wise and pound foolish or something like that. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314 314- 
436 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's see if we can get Kirk. And Kirk, uh, before we take break, Kirk, how are you today? Uh, yeah. Hi, Mike. Hi. We've got some brandywine maples we planted next to a raised uh, deck, and they're about two years old. And we'd like to trim the lower limbs because we want them to grow up and have the limbs not grow under the deck but right. over for shade. Mm-hmm. So the question is, when do we trim some of these lower limbs? Basically, the maples, birches, and beech trees prefer to be pruned during the summertime as opposed to in the oaks and sycamores and things like that that you prune in the winter. But uh, summertime is the best time to prune because in the wintertime, the beaches, maples, and birch trees have a lot more sap flow, and it could be problematic from that standpoint. So summertime, anytime you know, during the summer, that's when I would be doing the pruning. Earlier summer, later? Doesn't matter. I mean, you don't want to necessarily be out there sawing on things or cutting branches when it's extremely hot. So just... You know, sometime other than, let's say, fall slash winter slash springtime. So, you know, specifically what time, it doesn't really matter all that much. Great. Thank you. Yep. And, um, you know, it's just you think everybody thinks, well, this is the time of year to do it. But if you go out in maple trees like sugar maples, this is the time of year when the trees are tapped so they can get the maple sap to make syrup. And that's why just an abundance of sap flow in that whole group, those three different varieties of you know trees, that's why it's not advisable to prune this time of year. So Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline. If you have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, folks, lines are open, so you can give us a call at 1-800-925-1120 or 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred. Let's head into Ed's yard, and he lives in St. Louis. Hi, Ed. Uh, hi. Uh, I recently heard a story. Somebody told me a story. But anyway, it was about a Turner oak, a Turner oak. And I was just wondering, is there a Turner oak in that I can go look at in St. Louis? Because it was a very interesting story about something called the Turner oak. Hmm. I'm, I'm not familiar with that variety. What you could do is probably the best place to find it, if there is one, is go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and okay. see if they got any Turner Oaks on the garden grounds. Okay. If, I'm going to tell you, I heard this story. It was on the BBC, and it was about in 1987. Uh, they had a really bad storm, and it killed all the trees except this one Turner Oak. And it was there alone, and it's still standing. It was something. It was just an interesting story because the guy who was involved, who was like the guy in charge of the the the, the like the botanical garden, mm-hmm. he 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 still has a relationship with that tree because it it just exists. Do you see? He has a special relationship with. It's like his friend. And it's just a beautiful story. Well, basically, Cole, while you were asking the question, put in Turner Oak onto the computer. And every picture that they have, which there's probably like maybe 15 or 17 pictures, they're showing them only in Texas. Oh, is that right? Oh, well, well I'm not, I'm not, I live in St. Louis, 
it's not worth the drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to go down, you know. so yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's obviously not a hardy tree here, but uh, yeah, another thing that you know, you could, like I said, anybody that wants to find out about a particular plant variety that they're curious about, mobot m o dot b o t dot org. Is that's the Missouri Botanical Garden website? Then you can just put a search in for a plant material. It works really well. Let's head now to Eureka and go into Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Hi, there, Mike. Hi. My question is, uh, how do you clean uh, off the equipment that you're working with in the yard? Aside from making sure the dirt is off of it, how do you really clean it? Basically, with a solution of like uh, eight parts water, you know, two parts bleach, or just soap and water. That's, I mean, you can do it and just, you know, take like a, well, let's say um, some kind of scrubbing brush or something like that, dip it into the bucket of water and just scrub your tools. Okay. Do you have to oil them afterward? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, back to like pruning and tools and everything else, too. If the gentleman that was calling about uh, limbing his tree up, now this was a relatively small tree, so he may not have to do it. But if your branches are extended, remember to cut those branches off one-third at a time. So the first cut is going to be the, you know, the furthest out third. The second cut is going to be the you know middle section. And the final cut is going to leave a stub on the trunk of about a quarter to a half inch only. And so don't leave, don't, you know, if you cut them off, it could tear the bark. If you just make a single cut near the trunk, that's what you, you do not want to do. So you want to stay away from that, you know, by far. Because, you know, a torn bark. And the city does a great job with the park. We live right across the street from Christie Park. But they cut, uh, there was a a huge white pine and the white pine, they had to take a branch off because it was basically dead. And they weren't able to do the cutting like I'm talking about. And it tore the bark severely. All the way, probably this branch was maybe uh, eight feet off the ground. And it tore the bark all the way down. So I've been watching it for the last couple of years. And to see, you know, this, was a, this is a huge, you know, white oak. So, I mean, white pine, not a white oak. Hopefully I wasn't saying oak, but white pine. And so, consequently, see you know, how long it's going to take if it's going to be able to recover. Let's go now to Collinsville and in the Kirk's yard. Hi, Kirk. Hi, Mike. Uh, we have some white pines also. We planted. They're about 20 feet tall now. And we never have trimmed them at all at the bottom. Should we trim the bottom off the ground a little bit or leave them? Or You don't have to, you know, you, they, leaving the branches is fine. A lot of people want to cut them or limb them up because they want to be able to walk underneath them or because they want they think it's going to make it so they can have better grass growing close in close proximity but no you can leave the branches all the way down to the ground if you want okay okay great thank you yeah it's a you can make things a lot more complicated than you actually need to and uh i mean just pruning them is fine you just don't have to do it. So, well, thanks, Kirk. And we 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Remember, our soils here, for the most part, are clay oriented. Now, there's certain valleys and things like that where the soils are a little bit better. But improving your soil before you do any kind of planting is really advisable. And what you're going to do is you're going to add, 
you know, compost topsoil mixes into the existing soil. It's not really the best thing to do just to dig up the clay or the, the existing soil and get rid of it and just put some new stuff in there. And definitely if you've got ruts or things like that in your landscape, don't just think if you fill them without blending them in with the existing soil that it's going to really work. It's not going to. So you have to blend with the existing. That's by far the best way to improve your soil. Let's head now over to Andy's. And Andy lives in St. Charles. Hi, Andy. Yeah, Mike, I got a question for you. Uh, I've got a hydrangea that is uh, it's pretty big in size, and I didn't know if there was any possibility on uh, dividing and transplanting those. Uh, to, uh, you, could pro- you could possibly do it, but the, I would think you're probably better off just to go buy a new one if you want to, if you want another one, a second one. It's, you know, to get down in there and to divide, you know, some of the stems coming up out of the ground from the mother plant, it's possible, but success-wise, it's going to be really limited. Okay, and then as far as in the winter or spring, is there any time that I need to cut those back at all? It depends. Certain varieties you can cut, you know, during the wintertime before the new growth begins. But if you have one that's like, say, the classic snowball, the PG hydrangea, it blooms in the spring. So if you prune it during the winter or, let's say, fall, then you're cutting out the potential flower buds for the following year. So if you if yours are a summer bloomer, then you can prune them all the way up to the point where you start to see some of the buds breaking open that are just leaf buds, not necessarily flower buds. Okay, thank you very much. Certainly. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, you had questions, concerns, 1-800-925-1120 or 314-436-7900. Back after these messages. Well, if you're a little bit bored with uh, the gray weather and everything else, next year, why not have some things that would be up and blooming this time of year? There's some minor bulbs, minor just meaning the size of the bulb, that actually bloom this time of year. One of them is winter aconite, and another one is the Dutch bulb iris and snowdrops. And the grape hyacinths, they're not going to be blooming yet, but uh, those, you know, the winter aconite is, to me, and the snowdrops, those are the two first things that you almost guaranteed that are going to be blooming this time of year. So when you kind of aesthetically get desperate, you know, this is great. Now, you're not going to be able to find them this time of year, but it would be next fall when you find them, and then you'd plant them in a well-drained location in a good soil. So that is a perfect situation. Let's head now into St. Charles and see what's going on with Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. We had some green giants uh, planted about a year and a half ago, and they have some um, thin shoots on the top. And I heard it's good to um, cut those off so they bush out more and fill out. But I read online that that can stunt the growth of them. Yeah, I agree with the stunning the growth. Arborvitae generally just don't like to be pruned. And so you could go ahead and I don't know how many you have or how many is, you know, has this, let's say, problem, the aesthetic problem that you're seeing. But you could go ahead and cut a couple of them and see what you think and leave the other ones alone, and then you'll be able to call to the, the show a couple of years from now and say, blah, 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 you know. 
Is that true on hollies as well? No, not with hollies. It's mainly things that are conifers. So uh, an arborvitae is a conifer, and so anything that has little cones, their cones are little blue things, but uh, it's not the classic pine tree cone or something like that. But no, not with hollies because that's you know a, t- a completely different type of plant. And is there a, a fertilizer or uh, some kind of stimulant we should use on the green giants? Uh, anything. Get a fertilizer that's for acid-loving plants. Okay. And then, but, but like I always say, fertilizer is great, but augering holes, you know, with an earth auger, you know, one-inch drill bit, and auger those holes around the, you know, tree about uh, halfway out from, you know, let's say a f- one or two feet out from the trunk, and concentric circles, feed the soil with by backfilling those holes with compost, that would probably be what I'd recommend, but also just making sure it wouldn't hurt to put a little bit of fertilizer down, but for acid-loving plants. All right. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And now let's head to South County and go into Peggy's yard. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. My question is, we have a couple areas in our yard that are like a depression, so we've been trying to fill them back up so they're even with the rest of the yard. Is there one dirt? that's more absorb, you know, absorbent than others? Because is clay better than just buying the little soil, the regular soil in bags? Or Basically, you need to make sure that you're blending in with the existing soil. Whatever you would put, you can't just lay it in this hole or rut or whatever it happens to be. Because uh-huh. it'll just wash out. It's got, you've got to turn the soil in the hole over once. And then you would add, you know, the new soil, the new topsoil, compost mix, or whatever you want to add into that situation. But the bags... Well, you have already, like, dug up the side and put dirt under there and put the side back over it. But it seems like it still washes away. <laughs> right. So, so that's, not, I didn't know if there was, like, if a clay dirt, you know, is better than just the regular bags of dirt you can buy. So. Yeah, the bags of dirt are not really all that good. So, I mean, I would, you know, St. Louis composting, they've got a topsoil compost mix, and again, blend it in with the existing soil. You got to do that, or else if you don't, it's, I mean, really, you know, mix it in really, really well. So it looks like a, it's like a, let's say you're mixing a cocktail in a blender, and you only run it like, and then you wonder, it's not really what it's supposed to be. And so if you don't blend your soils together, then they're not going to be. They're going to be like a cocktail that's not blended correctly. Okay, I guess like mixing up a cake mix, you got to make sure it's right. all incorporated. Exactly, that's a better example than a cocktail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I heard you also talking to somebody about a hydrangea. Right. Now I've got one, and it seems like it was blooming more midsummer and late summer. Is that not because I thought I had like a the never-ending blooming hydrangea, but Maybe I don't. <laughs> you could because, I mean, that means it's going to have an extended bloom period. I mean, like some of the forever varieties, they may start blooming in, let's say, mid to late June and then bloom all the way, you know, through until mid to late September. Oh, so, I guess that's maybe that's what I have because that's what it'll do. Like like this year, it seemed like it was really late before it even got any flowers on it. Right. So that's, you know, that's variety-wise. Okay. So I guess you said for trimming those, you really... Have to kind of wait to see what comes up. Or? No, you. Could, I mean, this time of year, you can prune them now. Okay, oh, I could. Then. Yeah, just before the let's say the, even the leaf buds start breaking open, 
do the pruning and you know at this point okay so i could i just didn't know if i did it now if i would injure it because of the weather being cold well it's not going to be hopefully that cold but i guess it could but uh i wouldn't be overly i wouldn't be overly concerned necessarily okay all right well thanks for your help you have a nice day certainly yeah and uh with everything if you're going to do some pruning basically make the cut at a 45 degree angle and with a hand pruner make sure it's sharp make sure there's nothing frayed and the reason why you want to do it at 45 degree angles because that exposes more of the cambium layer which is a layer right below the bark and that's the one that helps you know heal this wound anything that blooms in the summertime like butterfly bushes Rosa Sharon, those type things, the variety of hydrangea she has, they haven't started setting the flower buds. They don't start until after the leaves start coming out. Let's head to John's yard, and he lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, John. Hi, how you doing? Good. Good. Um, I have uh, uh, some bamboo that's screening uh, the alley, um, and uh, I, I like it, except it keeps falling over. Uh, so it gets up to about eight feet high and then just topples over and, and grows sideways. Um, and so I wanted to replace it with something, but uh, I'm not sure what to use. Well, I'm surprised it's falling over. Is it really shaded yeah. or something? I, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I, I don't think so. It's, I've had it for five or six years, and it, it does it every year. I'm not sure why. Yeah, that's kind of unusual because the variety, there's a variety of you know bamboo called Golden Groove that grows about you know 15 to 18 feet high, and it is very invasive and aggressive. So this one must might be a clump grower or something along that line. Yeah, I'm not sure what uh, it was there when I got the house. So ah. I don't know what it actually is. So you're trying to figure out something else to plant in this place? Right. Um, is it in full sun? Yes. Okay, full sun. Then, I mean, you've got lots of different choices. If you want something that's going to be evergreen, I'd probably use the things that are the toughest evergreens. And that would be, as long as the soil's well-drained, is some of the varieties of yews. Either Hicks yew or Niagara U or something along that line, or some of the upright junipers, depending upon how tall you want them to get. And if you want something okay. that's going to be flowering, I'd probably look at maybe some of the varieties of uh, viburnums. Like leatherleaf viburnum is a broadleaf evergreen-type viburnum. I'd use that. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Yeah, t- just take a look at those. And... uh it looks like we've got another call, but we're just about out of time. So everybody just get out there and, you know, even though it's so gray again today, at least the temperature is not too bad. And thank goodness those snowstorms that you predict, you know, you watch the weather on the Internet and stuff. Three to five inches coming towards St. Louis. I'm glad it passed us. Whether it went south or north, it doesn't really matter. But everybody, just enjoy the outdoors. Mike Miller, KMRS Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.